from Jesus saying that it is what comes from within defiles a man, not what goes in. And I think that's a good thing. But I want to share with you a, a, a song, words, not share a song. As a kid that I heard, and it came to my mind as I was thinking about this particular message, and, and the words were, be careful little ears what you hear. Be careful little ears what you hear, for the Father up above is looking down below. So be careful little ears what you hear. Another verse was, be careful little eyes what you see. Another verse was, be careful little tongue what you say. Be careful little hands what you do. And be careful little feet where you go. All these were the beginning formation of a theology that we come to understand as choice theology or choice, um, choice-based faith. Meaning that when we understand that our choices determine our walk with God. But they don't determine if we have one. They determine it afterward. Beforehand, we're stuck. Why? Because... Adam did it for us. He chose sin. We also chose sin. And we still do. Jesus even said in the list of the different things that we find coming from within that defile us are pride, covetousness, uh, fornication, uh, lies, murders, all those things in that list that He gave us. And um, evil thoughts also. And stealing Wickedness, all these things. Foolishness. Uh You know, I I drive a preschool bus, I can tell you there's foolishness. (laughs) Utter foolishness as early as four years old. Probably before that. So they're already going down the choice of making silly choices. And we continue to do that. But because we made those choices, and because of that fallen state that Adam helped us be a part of, Sin is in us, and it resides there. Anybody ever remember the old Prego uh, sauce commercial? Yep. It's about this man talking to his uh, son-in-law, or or might be future son-in-law, it's hard to tell, but he's cooking some spaghetti sauce on the stove. And uh, he's trying to be a good Italian father and tell him, you know, I'm so glad you're cooking and... Um, that you're not using a jar full of sauce to make your spaghetti. And he says, I am. And he said, well, you don't understand it has to have garlic and nutrients and I mean herbs and things like that. And the son-in-law says, it's in there. And he says, but you don't understand it has to have the meat and the vegetables. And he says, it's in there. And he says, but to be a good husband, you must provide your wife the best things. And the son-in-law dips a spoon and puts it in his future father-in-law's mouth. He tastes it and goes, it's in there. (laughs) Do you remember that? That's how Prego, I remember it being new, was made a public. And I'm not advertising Prego, I'm advertising that sin is in there. We can't say it's not in there. It is. We uh, chose it and Adam helped us. We can't undo it. That's what I'm trying to get at. Once it's in, you can't wash it out. That's 
You cannot. Jesus said, it's out of the heart that we act like what we do now. Because the heart is desperately wicked. He even says that in Jeremiah. So we act and live out of what we are. Therefore, we drank the coffee, or we drank the Kool-Aid as they say, and therefore now we have the sin within us. The cup has been drunk, or the apple has been eaten. However you want to say that, but I'm using the phrase cup because in the Old Testament, the cup has a significance for us today that is relevant for our service. And that cup represents God's judgment. So today we look at the first cup is the cup of judgment. Mm -hmm. It is described in the Old Testament in various different ways. It can be the cup of horror because of God's wrath poured out. It can be called the cup of uh, fury, if you want to call it that, or the cup of trembling, or the cup of desolation. This is the cup that we have entered into in the sin relationship. Now in Psalm, thank the Lord, in the Old Testament, there's a cup of salvation. But we'll get to that one in a little bit. But we either drink now, by choice, from the cup of judgment, or from the cup of salvation, which I'll show you in a little bit. But we must see what these cups are for what they really are. These cups undo what's in there. Amen. Now, you say, what are you talking about cups? Why are you talking about cups, preacher? I'll tell you why. Because in the Passover or Cedar meal, they had cups that they drank. And each cup meant different things. There were four cups that were drunk and one not drunk, a fifth one. I want to share with you about these cups. But I have to tell you this. God said that He was going to do some things. Things that we couldn't do for ourselves. And that we would never be able to do. And I'm not just talking about removing sin as a problem out of our lives. When God tries to correct the problems and we get in His way, that's crazy. We begin to play God when we try to fix our own messes. We can't act ourselves holy. I can't all of a sudden start acting according to the law righteous and expect myself to be righteous after I've already entered into the sin relationship by being born into the human race. It just doesn't work. But when we try to do those things that only God can do and try to present ourselves as holy when we're not uh, and say, look, look, I'm better than them, that is called playing God. It's insanity if you ask me. And it means we're ego-driven with no regard for God or what He's trying to do in our life. But we can experience redemption by leaving Egypt and stop serving our ego or our sin nature, which creates the pride that comes from within and all the evil thoughts and wickedness. Now I said there are judgment in the cups of the fury, trembling, 
horror and desolation from God. But the four cups that we want to look at this morning come out of Exodus chapter 6. These are the cups that Israel clings to when they celebrate their cedar or Passover Pesach meal. Now, there are promises in here that God has made that are not based on anything that Israel does. Let me say that again. God is going to do something regardless of what Israel does. Amen. Israel can turn their back on God. God's still going to keep His end of it. Mm-hmm. He says this in these verses with I will statements. And the first one is, I will take you out. Not, I'm going to take you out. But, I will take you out or bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the first cup that they drink during a cedar meal. And it is the salvation of God from the harsh labor that the Egyptians have put on them. This cup is considered the cup of sanctification. It helps to remove the bondage to the sin nature. We're in bondage to it. And this is going to undo it. This cup, if you look in Luke, at chapter 22, when he's doing the ritual, he says, the first cup he takes it and says, take it and divide it among yourselves. I will not drink this one with you. Why wouldn't he do that? It's because of the bondage to sin nature that this cup represents. And Jesus isn't in bondage to sin. He didn't have to drink that one, but we have already drunk into the bondage. We need to drink into the redemption. Now that is not the cup that is the cup of communion that we share. It is the cup that we are in bondage to sin, that we've already drunk from the judgment that we're in bondage to sin. First cup. Second cup comes from the next line in there. And it says, I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgments. I will rescue you from their bondage. That's the bondage to Egypt. But what he's saying is that the way I will rescue you or save you is through plagues. Amen. Doesn't always seem like a fair deal if he's going to send all these plagues upon the Egyptians because the Israelites are going to get them too. The grasshoppers aren't going to be choosy. The water turned into blood isn't going to be choosy. There is one that is. So he says, I'm going to save you. And this second cup on the cedar meal is a cup of salvation from servitude. Where you're being released from slavery through the plagues. And that's what they remember. It destroys the sin-creating bondage. The thing that puts you into that relationship, the Egypt that you face, gets destroyed. Sin is destroyed. Why? Why? 
It's because from within that corruption comes and the judgment falls upon us. Their Egypt was external. Our Egypt is internal. It's the wickedness that sin creates. Now, it's not from what others do to us that causes us to fall under judgment. Pride defiles us. Wickedness defiles us. The fact that we sin defiles us because it's what we do, not what's done to us that makes us ungodly and defiled. Now, that word defile means unholy, unrighteous, unclean. Very simple way to look at that. So that's the second cup. It's the saving from servitude. And in the third cup, this is the cup that Jesus took and blessed that we drink. It's the cup after the supper. This cup is from the phrase that says, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with great judgment. That's the third, I will. I will redeem you. And how does He do that? By the splitting of the Red Sea. This is an archetype, if you will, of baptism. Through the waters, you will be redeemed. It's the cup of redemption. That's what they call it. Or the cup of blessing. Now, isn't it interesting that when a faithful Israelite has their... Passover meal, that they're celebrating redemption and blessing, but they're not adding Jesus as a redemptive cause. We know that Jesus is our Redeemer. I will sing of my Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives. I love my Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. This cup of baptism and rebirth, the cup after the supper, is a cup we will partake in a little bit. It is the one that He rose to heaven and blessed God and said, this is My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. This is that cup. They can drink when we do as often as you will in remembrance of Him. You're proclaiming that He is your Redeemer when you take of that cup. That there is no other that can do it. Just Him. The fourth cup. He says, I will take you as my people, or I will take you as a nation. This is the seventh verse in Exodus 6. Israel becomes a nation at Mount Sinai. This cup is the praise cup during the Passover meal. It's the one they sing hymns and then drink this cup. It's the fourth cup. Jesus and the disciples do not drink this cup that night. This cup is to restore or to build or to establish you in relationship with God. You become Israel. People of God. It's a good thing, I think. A great thing. And I'm so thankful that He knew what He was doing. Now, we've looked at four cups so far, but I've got to tell you something. This isn't like He had four different glasses sitting there. 
it would take the cup, the first cup, and he'd say, this is the cup for the uh, servitude, if you will, or the bondage, you're in bondage of sin. And he said, take and drink you all, but I'm not going to drink with you. And the disciples all drank from this common cup mm-hmm. and drained it. Jesus would then take the wine out of the wineskin and fill it back up for the second cup. And they would all drink that one. Mm-hmm. And he participated in that one. In the third cup, again, filled from the wineskin, the same cup. Mm-hmm. Do you see that the cup of judgment is also the cup of salvation? That's right, amen. The cup of bondage is also the cup of freedom. Amen. The cup which you enslaved in is what you also become free in. The same body you live in will also carry the life of Christ. But when it also carries the old man to death. Mm-hmm. That cup is a cup that you drink each time. Mm-hmm. So the fourth cup, when they drink it, after they sung the hymn at the end of the evening, is the fourth cup, and it's a celebration. They're praising. It's praise. Get it? Cup of judgment, bondage, to redemption, to praise. Mm -hmm. This is how it works. We're under judgment. We're in bondage. He breaks the bondage. He redeems us. We praise Him. And it sounds like that's a great way to celebrate, but there's a fifth cup that Mm -hmm. they don't drink. Mm -hmm. They fill it, but don't drink it. And this is a cup... We all share in as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. I love the fifth cup. And it also gives more significance when we drink the cup today because this fifth cup is in there when he says, I will bring you to the land, in verse 8, and give it to you as a heritage. This is the cup of Elijah. Amen. They don't drink it. As a matter of fact, they pour it before the meal is over at the time after the last hymn is sung. They drink that fourth cup. They pour the fifth cup and they have a child. Go to the door and look out and see if Elijah is out there. And if he doesn't see Elijah, they don't drink the cup. I love that because when you come to this table, if you don't see Jesus and you look out in the world or in your life, don't drink it. But if you do, drink it. Mm -hmm. Why? (laughs) Because this cup is one where you're getting planted in the Messianic reign. And until Elijah comes and they see Elijah, they won't drink it. But I have to share something with you. It's not on the screen for you, but there was a time in our New Testament when Jesus took some disciples up the mountain and there was Jesus and Moses showed up and some other guy. Who was it? Elijah! John the Baptist came preaching and Jesus said he was Elijah who is to come. Double Elijah. Do you see Elijah actually came and John the Baptist ushered it in. And Elijah's going, yes, he did that. That was me through John. You see, Elijah and Moses with Jesus on the mountain 
They don't have that in the Jewish tradition. That's in our New Testament where it talks about what Jesus did with them. For some reason, they don't embrace that that happened. But Elijah and Moses with Jesus on the mountain and Peter, James, and John watching this thing going, let's make some houses. Let's prepare some boots for them to sleep in. Kind of a shock, I think. But let me share with you this. They knew who it was. Do you understand? Peter knew who Elijah was. Oh, you know, I've seen him before. No, you never saw him before. Well, I knew Moses because he wrote all that stuff in the old... You don't know someone by their words. He knew it was Moses and he knew it was Elijah. He looked and he said, that's Elijah. The cup of Elijah says, yes, this is the one who brings in the Messianic reign, ushering in the Messiah. When you come to this table, you know Jesus is the Messiah and He's come, or you do not. Mm -hmm. To take it worthily means that you know Jesus is the Redeemer, you're not, and you don't deserve what He's done for you, but you're thankful and you give Him praise. And then you can drink of the cup of Elijah. Oh, you said, but wait a minute. I thought you said this was the third cup. It is. It's the first cup. You have to have the first before you can have the second. Right, you got to have the second before you can have the third. You got to have the third before you can drink the fourth. Amen. You got to have the fourth before you can drink the fifth. It's all the same cup. From judgment to redemption to establishment. In that order. Amen. You understand? It's the same cup. It's a common cup. And Jesus said, I can't drink it until I am Messiah in the Messianic reign. That's why He wouldn't drink it. Because that's what that cup was. I don't know about you, but I like it. (laughs) That makes sense now, doesn't it? How those cups work and how communion is established in Exodus. Oh, but what about the bread? Oh, we got bread too. Did you know that? You guys got lots of bread. I love bread. This bread, graciously broken, represents matzah. Matzah is a is a scored piece of bread. It looks like a pierced with little holes in it and and lines on it, and it's like a cracker. Very, very, very dry. This is the matzah that they use at their cedar meal. Not this. This is our loaf of bread baked for us. And what Jesus did with the matzah is what they do in their traditional Seder meal. They would break it in half. And then somebody, an adult, would take that half of this matzah and go hide it. They would hide it. And they would eat this first half during the meal. And later, in the meal, they would say, half the matzah is gone. (laughs) And a little child, the youngest, hopefully, would have to go search for that piece of matzah, the other half. Because it can't have the cup without the matzah. You gotta have the matzah as part of the meal. And the cup and the matzah go together. 
So Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. And then it's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get that? It's it. Half of it. Mm-hmm. And so the youngest, I, I think they said, the youngest was uh, Timothy, but I'm not positive who it was. It was one of the disciples who was the youngest, maybe Thomas. But then he had to go find it. And so when they got the bread back, and they have, Jesus has it in his hands, he gives thanks to God for this. Mm-hmm. And said, this is the, my body broken for you. Take and eat it now. And the cup. I think that's awesome because when you think about it, throughout history, God has been placing the work of judgment and redemption all through that night. Even unto us today. And what He wants us to do is to throw our pride down. Because we are not a part of those cups work. God does the work through Jesus Christ in us. So we, it's not something we can do. Well, I took communion, therefore Jesus did this. No, Jesus did this so you could take it and receive it. It's not because of how wonderful and smart you are, but because of how merciful and gracious our God is. Not about you, it's about Him. And our proper place is to come to the altar with an attitude of repentance, seeking redemption. Not with an attitude of I'm redeemed and therefore I'm going to repent and uh, God will have to do that. God's already done the work. And so we come, as we said last Sunday, with the attitude of repentance. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us why. He writes in verse 4 and 5, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So this is what it's telling us. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is a stronghold or a lie or an argument or a high thing. In other words, if we have pride, it tells us that maybe God isn't who we thought He is. Or pride says, God can't do what He said He could do. Or, I'm not good enough. Or, I'm not smart enough and therefore God won't redeem me. Those kind of thoughts that we have are against knowing God. And knowing God's reality and His redemptive work through the cross. Pride says, you can't know this. Pride says, you don't need this. Pride says, you deserve this. Pride says a whole bunch of things, but it's against the reality of God. It exalts itself against who God is. And so we have to bring those thoughts back into captivity. (laughs) This is great. Bring those thoughts back into captivity, which the first cup tried to redeem us from, was our captivity that we would be obedient to God. Sin's job is to keep us in captivity. When God starts to redeem us, sin tries to well us up, and now we've got to take sin captive. Does that make sense? Pride says we can't do this. Communion destroys that notion. 
And communion destroys pride. Let me tell you something that's true about God. And every one of these things, our pride has probably battled in, in our lives. First thing, His healing power is sure. His forgiveness, total. His love, ultimate. His grace, abounding. His mercy, available now. His presence, inviting. His Spirit, available. His Son, redemptive. Calvary, the way. The resurrection, a reality. His invitation to dine with Him, waiting. Waiting on you. And so this morning, we think of the cups and all those things within us that would keep us from saying we can have it. Because they've defiled us. Our heart. Our actions. But God says, when you take this cup, all those things that you think hold you back are redeemed. Scripture says, Behold, your redemption draws nigh. Today is the day of salvation. So all who will this morning are invited to this table to participate in the Lord's Supper. Understanding a little differently the meaning of the cup, the bread, and the cups, plural, that this represents. You come in bondage and leave free. So in a moment I'm going to offer a prayer over the elements. I'm going to invite you to come forward for them. I'm going to ask Ginger to come first because she's uh, singing for our communion. And I invite you, when you receive the elements, if you haven't yet done so, to look at the meditational thought in the bulletin. And once you receive the elements, spend time in prayer with God until our benediction. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, You love us so much. You love us so much that You gave Your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish and have everlasting life. And so today, Heavenly Father, we come giving You thanks for the elements of the grape, fruit of the grape, the bread, representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ to us, that we would be redeemed by Your Son, and in His name, find healing and resurrection. And as we do so, Heavenly Father, pour out Your Spirit upon us, gathered here and upon these gifts of fruit of the grape and the bread. They would be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we would be the body of Christ for the world. Heavenly Father, that the world would find redemption in what we do for You, because of what You've done for us. It is my prayer this morning, Heavenly Father, that as we receive we find Your grace and Your mercy poured through in ever, ever increasing ways through our lives and through this church. Your church. Amen.